allow me to paint the picture. You are at your first in-person company event in quite a while. Maybe it is your company kickoff. Maybe it's a big conference, but you get into the elevator at the big hotel and who is in there, but none other than your CEO. And it's just the two of you. If you don't have a conversation, it would feel awkward. So do you look at this as an opportunity or does it make you want to throw up? So Matt Abrahams is the author of Think Faster, Talk Smarter, and he is the guest on our podcast today. And he wants to help you, help me, help all of us to better navigate spontaneous speaking. Hi, I'm Karen Reed. I'm a four-time author, Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist, and communication expert on helping people to own the room, whether it be a physical one or a virtual one. Welcome to Speaker Dynamics. So I could not be more delighted to have Matt Abrahams with me today. And Matt, I have to tell you, when you sent the book to me, I, I think I got either an advanced copy or an early copy. I literally took it out and basically picked up my highlighter and I went through it, like legitimately went through it with a highlighter because I just value what you have to present so much. And this is a fantastic book. So uh, congratulations on its success. Thank you so much. And, you know, the most meaningful way of looking at success for me of the book is exactly what you just showed. So, Karen, it really means a lot to me. People say, how do you feel about the book's success? And if people are reading it, highlighting it, dog-earing it, going back to it, then the book is useful. And that's really why I wrote it, is to help people. So I'm glad you're finding value in it. And, and thank you for, for sharing that and having me on as a guest. Absolutely. And, and truly, I do use it as a resource a ton. I, and I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper on some of the things that, you know, it, it provoked in my mind as I was reading it. So sure. let's first kind of ground our conversation, though, in how you define spontaneous speaking. So most of our communication happens in the moment, both in our professional and personal lives. It's not the planned presentation. It's not the pitch that you've practiced or the meetings with agendas. It's the conversations you have, the questions you have to answer, the feedback you give, the small talk, the introducing yourselves or others. Most of our communication is impromptu. It happens in the moment. And most of us get no training in that at all. We don't get a lot of training in the plan stuff either. And yet this has such a significant impact on our lives and how we feel about ourselves and our abilities to communicate. What I think is really interesting that you speak to in the book is how you were taught the value of being able to speak spontaneously in your childhood. Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about that, why it was seated, your interest in this topic early on? Well, seated and seated, uh, <laughs> to be quite specific. So uh, with the last name Abrahams, A-B, I have always gone first. So my whole academic career, all the way through grad school even, was spontaneous. I was called on first. Teachers can be lazy. I was a teacher. I am a teacher. And I know <laughs> it's super easy to put people in alphabetical order. And so I often would go first. And so this is something that I've been very familiar with. I understand the pressure and I've developed tools, some of which ended up in the methodology I teach and wrote about 
to help people with those circumstances. I mean, you, you're lucky. Your name is later in the alphabet. You get time to think and prepare. Uh, it's very different when you're up front and first. That's so interesting. And actually, my maiden name was Hawkins. So I still had a little bit of time to, right. to prepare for answering those questions. I, I oh, woe the person with the name that begins with A. Can you tell us what are some of the most common reasons that the idea of speaking spontaneously strikes terror in so many of us? Speaking in front of others, period, planned or spontaneous, invokes anxiety. Those of us who study this feel and, and believe that it's part of being human. It's innate to who we are. That doesn't mean we can't learn to manage that anxiety. But the first thing that trips us up is anxiety. The, the next thing that gets in the way is the way we see these situations. We see them as threats, as challenges that we have mm -hmm. to surmount instead of seeing them as opportunities. So there's a mindset shift there. So we have to see these as opportunities to connect, to extend, to expand, rather than to defend and entrench. And we also have to remove the delusion that we have that we need to be perfect in these situations. Most of us want to give the right answer, the best feedback, be the most interesting in small talk. And the reality is you just need to get it done. You just need to connect. So it's not about perfection. It's about connection. So the desire to be right, the, seeing the, these situations as threats and challenges and the anxiety that comes on top of all of that is why people do so poorly in these circumstances. Makes total sense. And it's funny because whenever I'm working with clients, they'll also say, always say, oh, you're so polished whenever you're, you know, on camera, for example, I'm like, I'm not polished. I'm just myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, if the way you see me here is the way you would see me in person. I, I just, I, well, I, I can attest to that. I've seen you on screen and I've seen you in person and you are the same person. And I hope people feel the same for me. And that is the goal. I mean, that's what authenticity is all about. Right. And I think, and I actually, Matt, I used your quote uh, in, in a previous episode to, to highlight that you were coming on. And the one that I chose was the more me mediocre you give yourself permission to be, uh, the better, more compelling a speaker you become. So in my mind, that, that talks to something that I would call the inner critic. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. So uh, the title of that chapter and what I say to my Stanford MBA students on the first day of class is maximize mediocrity and their jaws drop. This is a class on strategic communication and you're telling me to be mediocre. What do you mean? But it's, you're exactly right. It's that inner critic. We, if we are spending any of our cognitive bandwidth judging and evaluating what we're saying, it means we have that bandwidth not available to be focusing on connection and what it is we're actually saying. So by maximizing mediocrity and in improvisation, they say dare to be dull by reducing the volume of that inner critic, of that pressure we put on ourselves, of that judging and evaluating, we free up bandwidth to actually get the job done well. So what I'll say at the end of my first class is we come back to that maximize mediocrity, but I say maximize mediocrity so you can achieve communication greatness. And my students get it. They're like, yes, now I understand that when I dial that down, I can do better. And that's what it's all about. I love that so much. And it was funny, I was talking to one of my clients along this line and, and, you know, they were saying that people would always say, oh, just be yourself. But giving that direction to somebody, just be yourself, that, that can be really terrifying and paralyzing because, you know, by being yourself, you have to kind of strip away all those barriers to your authenticity and it can be hard to figure out 
how to do that. So I think your advice to maximize mediocrity is so spot on. I love that. I, I might borrow that as well, Matt. Please, um, you, you, you have my permission to, to spread the word. So as you know, I, I began my early career in broadcast news. And, and one of my favorite things about that job was uh, I had to be able to maximize mediocrity because rarely do things go perfectly. Mm -hmm. But as soon as it was coming out of my mouth, it was out into the ether and I was on to the next thing. So I didn't have time to, to sit and ruminate over the story that just was, was uh, said. I had to already be speaking to the next one. And this is kind of in the same vein of what you would call performance fluidity, which I also think is a, an mm -hmm. interesting point. Don't be distracted by what has already happened, good or bad. So in your experience, is that one of the more difficult things for people to do, to not be distracted uh, by, you know, what happened in the past? Yes. And, and I learned this lesson from my 10 year old younger son's basketball coach. This, this guy is amazing. Uh, he's a good friend. Now we go for walks, we chat. Uh, and, and he taught me, it wasn't his lesson. And you know, this based on where you live, but Mike Krzyzewski, the yeah. famous basketball coach taught all of his players, this notion of next play. And my 10 year old son at the time learned this as well. And it's exactly what you're talking about. If we get caught up in the moment, ruminating about what just transpired, both positive or negative, maybe we did something really well, or more likely we did something poorly, we are missing what's happening next. Now, if you're playing a sport like basketball, if I miss a shot and I sit there ruminating, the other team is down the court about to score one <laughs> person down. So right. I need to move on to the next play. The same is true in our communication is if we ruminate in the moment, it gets in the way of the connection that we have. Now, this is not to say that we should not reflect. I'm a huge fan of reflection, but reflection happens after the fact. Mm -hmm. Ruminating in the moment gets in the way. So I like what you're talking about. Yes, it is hard to learn. You have to practice this. The cool thing is, at least in my experience, is we can practice this in other domains of our lives and it transfers nicely into communication. So we can practice it while communicating. I make a mistake, but I keep going. But we can also practice it in other areas of our lives. And, and, and see that it translates well. So I'm, I'm learning to play the guitar. I know you've got musicians in your family. That's something that, that is, is a little more comfortable for you and not them. For me, it's horrifically hard. When I make a mistake, instead of going back and trying to fix it in the moment and beating myself up because I didn't have my fingers in the right place, I simply uh, remind myself next play and then I reflect later. And that's helping me in other ways. And that's awesome. Do you have calluses on your fingers yet? <laughs> <laughs> I have calluses on my hands from from lifting weights in martial arts. But yeah, we can say that they're from playing guitar, but not really. Yeah. All that other stuff was prep for you learning how to play guitar. <laughs> Very interesting. So, you know, you you um, have a, a chapter that might be surprising uh, for our listeners because it's about listening. And in a book that is all about spontaneous speaking, they might be wondering, well, what is listening have to do with it. So I would ask you that question. Why is listening in a book about spontaneous speaking? It, the, the book is full of surprises, Karen. Uh, listening course. is critical. Listening is critical in all communication. We don't listen well enough. We listen just to get the gist and then we start judging and evaluating. Here's the challenge and here's why it's so important. It's, the, it's a critical step in the six-step methodology. 
if I'm not listening well, detailed to nuance, I might respond inappropriately. Let me give you an example. You, you and I got to know each other talking about meetings and learning about meetings. And I know you've done great work on meetings. I had you on my podcast to share your expertise on meetings. Imagine you and I come out of a meeting and you say, hey, Matt, how'd you think that went? And I, I am automatically here. Oh, Karen wants feedback. And I start itemizing all the things we could have done better, the things that went wrong. Had I listened in a focused way really well, I might have noticed that you came out the back door, not the front door like I did, that you were looking down, that you didn't have your, your normal gregarious tone in your voice. What you really wanted in that moment was not feedback, but support. And I messed oh. up because I, I initially didn't listen, thought you wanted feedback. And by layering on all these things that went wrong, I actively did the wrong thing in that moment. So listening helps us to determine what it is that's needed in the moment. And we need to be focused. We need to pay attention, not just to what is said, but how it is said, where it is said, so that we can respond better. And also what's not said. I think that's also interesting, yeah. Matt, that you're talking about observing the body language and, and you know, also the lead up to the spoken word. You know, I came out a different door. Maybe my head was hanging down. How important do you think body language is in terms of, you know, just making sure that you respond appropriately? It is incredibly important. The way we say something matters a lot. So there are things we need to do when we're speaking spontaneously to come off as authentic and confident. But there are things that we also have to pay attention to that others are saying to really help ascertain what's going on in the moment. The problem with nonverbal communication is it's not like language where each behavior has a correlate in meaning. Right. I can fold my arms in front of my chest and you could interpret that as being aloof or di disapproving. But it could also mean I'm just cold or I don't know where to put my hands. So it's tricky, but we have to spend time and effort trying to figure it out. That actually happened to me. And, and uh, I was doing a role play with the client and I was uh, they, they thought because my arms were crossed that I was really opposed to what they were saying. And they were trying to get me to be on their side. I'm like, I wasn't I wasn't upset. I was just, you know, freezing in the room. And yeah, that's why my, yeah. my arms were crossed. But they completely misread my body language. So and I think particularly in a virtual environment, it's even easier to misread the facial expressions, because frankly, some of us have default facial expressions that are not happy. <laughs> Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Resting whatever face. Right. right and, we need, exactly. and we need to and we need to be aware of it. I mean, I, I'm telling the expert in this, but this is where <laughs> digital recording becomes really important. You need to record yourself and watch. It's so painful. But you learn a lot. You're like, oh, wow. Is that what I look like? I uh, many years ago, I would do an activity in my class where I would have my students have a meeting and we had cameras mounted on the walls and students were amazed, disturbed but thankful when they saw how they acted in meetings because they got so involved. They're like, oh my goodness, I totally turned my back to that person. Or did you see that look on my face? And that's information that we can then use to change our communication. So really important to be aware of what we do non-verbally. You know, I'm going to wholeheartedly endorse the idea of recording Absolutely. yourself and everybody's going to go, but I don't want to. I don't. I mean, honestly, I've been on camera for decades and I still hate watching myself and listening to myself. But it is really illustrative of bringing out what you do well and what you probably want to address. Um, but you, you talked a little about the, the resting mm, face. Let's right. make it spicy still here because you talk about the F word 
of spontaneous speaking. <laughs> and before people you know, try to cover the ears of their children, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what you're alluding to in this context. What is the F word in spontaneous speaking and, and why is it important to know about? Well, I certainly don't want to be the first guest you have to believe. I've only had <laughs> one guest on my podcast I've ever needed to believe, and I don't want to be that for you. The F word is focus. We have to be focused. When we speak spontaneously, we tend, many people tend, to take their audience on a journey of discovery of what they're saying while they're saying it, which means we ramble and we list and itemize what we're saying. And the reality is this, our brains are not built for lists. In fact, Karen, how many items do you need to have on your shopping list before you actually have to write it down? For me, it's four. I can't, I can't remember anything more than four. We're not good at processing lists, so things have to be structured. Structure helps you be clear and concise. My mother has this wonderful saying. I know she didn't create it, but it's tell the time, don't build the clock. And many of us are clock builders. So we need to focus our message. The single best thing you can do is have a structure. The second best thing you can do is make sure your content is relevant and focused on the needs of your audience. If you have a structure and you focus that structure on what's relevant and salient to the audience, you are more likely to be focused. Corollary to that is make sure you use language and words that people understand. If I use complex jargon or acronyms, it gets in the way of people understanding and the focus that I need them to have. Uh, I, I'm having a guest on my podcast. We recorded the episode. His name is Huggy Rao. He and his colleague Bob Sutton wrote this book, and they talk about jargon monoxide. And I love that definition. Uh, it sucks all the air out of the room when you use acronyms and jargon. So to be focused, be structured make it relevant, avoid complex language. And that's the F word. Yeah, I love that so much. That's great. I'd like to be able to spend the last couple of minutes talking sure. about uh, some specific scenarios that I know a lot of our listeners are encountering right now. Uh, when this episode comes out, it'll be in the heart of a conference season, company kickoff season. And all of these People are gathering face to face, perhaps for the first time in a while, and they are forced to make small talk. Small talk uh, is, is not small in terms of how daunting it can be. Do you have any advice on how to manage small talk better? Yes. When I wrote the book, uh, the second part of the book, as you know, has six common spontaneous speaking situations. I did not think small talk would be the one that was most interesting to people. It's, it's fascinating to me. I thought answering questions, giving feedback, which are important and people ask about them. Small talk is critical. First and foremost. We have to rebrand small talk. Big things happen during small talk. We connect, we collaborate, we build trust, future relationships. In fact, I challenge everybody to think about some of your closest friends. Where did you meet them? How did you initiate? Probably through small talk. So good things happen, yet we, we seem to dread it. So number one, it's a good opportunity. The best advice I have ever received about small talk comes from a friend and somebody I've interviewed, her name's Rachel Greenwald, fascinating person. She's an academic and a professional matchmaker, really interesting. And her advice is this, when you make small talk, the goal is to be interested, not interesting. Many of us go into small talk, treating it like a game of tennis, where we want to serve an ace. We want to get it over the net and make it land well. Rather, small talk should be perceived as that game of hacky sack. You remember, Karen, where you've got that beanbag ball of and course. you're just trying to keep it 
uh, up. And the best way to do that is serving it to somebody so that they can then return it to you easily. So be interested, ask questions, comment on things in the environment. That gets conversation going. Avoid doom loops. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Now we're no better off than we were. So ask questions that are open, that get people to saying more, to sharing more information, relate to things that are in the moment or in the context. That's how you make yourself interested. And that's how you make small talk go better. And then the last thing I'll say is my, my uh, mother-in-law had a black belt in small talk. Her three magic words were tell me more. Great way to demonstrate interest. Somebody shares something with you. You say, tell me more. You and your former profession as a journalist, I'm sure you would ask follow-up questions. That's how we make small talk work better. I think your superpower, and, and perhaps mine as well, might be curiosity. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly helps in, in this environment, but it, and it definitely helped in an interviewing environment because I always was delighted to find out people's stories. And, and I know you are as, as well, supremely interested in what brings people to this point in their lives and what makes them tick. And if you can use curiosity to guide you through small talk, uh, and put the focus on learning more about the person on the other side, I think that really does help. So. You know, tell me more is a, is a great uh, thing to pull out and easy to remember. So I appreciate you bringing that up. One of the things that I'm going to have each of my guests do is give one big takeaway uh, at the end of each episode, just to give people something to chew on until the next episode or perhaps beyond. And so I would actually throw that out to you. If there were one thing you want people to take away from today's episode, what would that be? I love that you do this. I think it's cool. The one thing that I would like people to take away when it comes to speaking in the moment is that we can all get better at it and we get better at it by practicing. And it's counterintuitive to prepare to be spontaneous. But if you take the time in a methodical way, you will become more comfortable and confident speaking in the moment. We do this when we learn to play a sport. We do this when we learn to play jazz music. We prepare to be spontaneous. That can really help. Be present. And honestly, your appearance here, it has been a gift to me and to our listeners. So thank you so much. Matt Abrahams, the author of Think Faster, Talk Smarter, and the host of one of my honestly very favorite podcasts, Think Fast, Talk Smart. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Karen. It's a lovely pleasure to get a chance to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Matt as much as I did. And if you want to hear more, I have great news because we put together a bonus episode that is focusing primarily on public speaking anxiety, which is the reason why I got to know Matt in the first place. So if you would like to hear it, all you have to do is go to speakerdynamics.com slash bonus content. Once again, it's speakerdynamics.com slash bonus content. I promise you it is well worth a listen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Until next time, everybody.